everyone. Welcome back to the Bowery Capital Startup Sales Podcast. I've got Brandon Gracie here with me in the studio. Um, we're going to talk about post-seed round of financing, how to build the sales machine. Welcome to the show. Thanks a lot. Good morning. So tell the listeners a little bit about you, your background, where you come from. You obviously have a lot of sales experience. We would love to hear it. Yeah. Uh, so I I was kind of born and raised in Connecticut, or born in New Jersey, though I don't often tell people that. Oh, wow. Uh, I was too. Where? Uh, South Jersey by Atlantic City. Mm. My parents had this very, uh, like, uh, Martin Scorsese-esque, like, romance where they met in Reno in the 70s and oh, then wow. moved to Jersey as, like, the casinos were opening. Uh, and, like, you know, were going east to find their fortune uh, and worked at the casinos down there. And, uh, yeah, I was born just outside Atlantic City. All right, cool. And then my mother was from Connecticut, so moved us all back to Connecticut. Uh, I went to school in New Hampshire, uh, and I ended up I ended up working at a startup. I wasn't even right out of school. Uh, it was while I was finishing up school that was started by a property and casualty claims adjuster who, as he was approaching 40, said, I want to run my own company. Uh, I want to get out of what I've been doing. I uh, saw an opportunity in, uh, in that market. Uh, created a a product that uh, is most similar to Street View right okay. now. Uh, yeah, at the time, sure. there wasn't a Street View. Uh, and the, the product was uh, people would literally walk up and down every single street in a city and take pictures of every intersection from every angle. And what year was this? This was, I started there in 2000. Wow, okay. So this, and, is, yeah. this is innovative. It, it was at the time. It was it was an innovative product that was done in a very non innovative way. Okay. Um, but uh, we, uh, so I started as one of the guys, literally walking up and down uh, the street, and had these digital cameras that fit floppy disks in them. Uh, and you could get thirteen pictures on a floppy disk, and so wow. you would walk around every day with cargo shorts with like the pockets bulging yep. uh, with floppy disks. Um, hmm. And uh, as as a kind of summers went on where I was working there and weekends and things like that, um, I got close with the the guy who had founded the team and he said, you know, I've, I've got a family here in Northern Massachusetts. Would you be up for kind of flying around the country, training up teams, teaching them how to do this and sort of setting up all these little satellite operations. Mm-hmm. And so I had a very non-traditional early twenties uh, doing that. Uh, and, uh, and then you know, kind of flash forward about five years of doing that, I, I was running our operations on the East Coast. It was about 130 people or so uh, from Maine down to Florida. Uh, and uh, I was, I just felt like every day was exactly the same. Uh, and so I approached our, our CEO and I said, look, I, I'm looking around at the people who have careers that I admire, uh, that I know, uh, that are just people that I admire from afar. And they seem to have gone through the commercial side of most of the businesses that they've been in. And I think I'd like to give that a shot. Uh, and he said, cool. Uh, if you'd like to, our worst customers are personal injury attorneys. If you want to just start cold calling them, you can see if you're any good at sales. Uh, and uh, so I, I went from running our East Coast operations to, in effect, being an SDR, calling on uh, the least welcoming prospects. Uh, color commentary, what was that like? Uh, so getting to them is a challenge in and of itself, right? There is somebody answering the phone even at a two-person law firm. You're right, right. Uh, they are, in my experience, I don't want to like broad stroke it, so I'll put like a very, in my experience on it, quite brash, uh, mm-hmm. very impatient. Mm-hmm. Uh, aren't terribly interested in being sold things. 
there was a number of times where uh, like the phone, the pickup on the call was, who is this and what do you want? Uh, a lot of times with a lot more colorful language than that. Yeah. Uh, and so it was, it was a trial by fire, uh, but it started to work out a little bit, uh, you know, but really the personal injury attorneys were kind of like a training ground. Uh, and then our core customers were insurance companies. Uh, and I started working with, uh, with our core customers and then eventually with our enterprise customers. Uh, and over the next handful of years, ended up running our, uh, our sales. We had kind of a nascent um, marketing org and our support. Uh, Excellent. Yeah. And then how did you... How did you end up here? Yeah. You know, <laughs> knowing each other in the high technology industry. So how did you move into? So I, I was living here. I was living in New York for about 10 years of that uh, after I'd been traveling around. And uh, my, my now wife and I decided we were going to move to Northern Mass. We were going to move to Boston. And I was going to kind of reverse commute up mm-hmm. to the office in Northern Mass. Uh, I had taken on a, you know, I'd accepted a leadership role and uh, everything was going to be great. And the founder of Handshake, uh, a guy named Glenn Coates, uh, and I were buddies. And uh, I had heard he raised his seed round. I was getting ready to leave. Uh, he and I were we were friends, but the way I generally say it is, I don't think at that point in time Glenn was going to come visit me and like stay on my couch in Boston. I and see. So okay. I was like, oh, this is a this is a good guy to know. I should go say goodbye to him uh, and say congratulations. And so I reached out to him to get a coffee. Uh, and we got coffee at La Colombe on Lafayette, just below Houston. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were there for about 45 minutes. I called my wife when I left, and I said, we're not moving to Massachusetts. Um, I think, you know, that Australian guy you met that one time at WeWork, uh, he, uh, he's doing this thing. He's rapidly running out of money. They've got some customers. They want to see if somebody can turn it into, uh, turn the commercial side of it into a repeatable sales org. Uh, and uh, I somehow think that's a better opportunity than being COO of the company I've been at sure. for 10 years. And so your wife has a lot of trust in you. Yeah. Yeah. That's (laughs) incredible. Yeah. She was, uh, on the spot, like literally on that first phone call. And look, I think a big part of it was, uh, she didn't want to move. Right. Um, Right. But, uh, on that call, she said, if you think it's the right thing, let's do it. All right. That's great. And so So you've been at, so you stayed at handshake for a while, right? I mean, kind of, I was, I, I joined then, um, I was, uh, me and our, our head of success joined at the same time. We were essentially the first commercial people to join okay. the company. And, um, you know, we were, we were doing seed round uh, revenue. Uh, the, there, were, there was no real process to capture customers. And uh, I stayed there for three years through our Series A and Series B uh, and built the team from myself to about 20 sellers and SDRs and, um, and sales engineers. And, uh, and then... I got married right towards the end of that. My wife and I had been together nine years when we got married, which is mm-hmm. an entirely different podcast. Uh, okay. But uh, uh, so she, she's like, she's patient as well as many yeah. other things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but she, uh, on our first date, I said to her, when I turn 30, no matter where I am or what I'm doing, I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to travel for a year. Oh, wow. And I didn't. Right? I turned 30 and then I turned 31 and on and on and on and on. <laughs> And uh, okay. as we were approaching our wedding, she said, this is, this is BS. Like, you've been talking about this so much. I want to do it now. Right, uh, right. And um, so we, we were in the final stages of raising our Series B. Uh, and I said, well, let's get married. Uh, and, you know, we'll see how the next handful of months play out, the next couple of quarters. Um, next couple of quarters went well. We raised our Series B. I talked with our, uh, with our CEO. And I said, look, I, this is what I want to do. I wanna, I'm going to travel. I can give you a quarter's notice. Let's find... Um, Let's find a replacement. a replacement together. Yeah. Um, and uh, and we did. And I, I finished out Q1 of 2016. My last day was the last day of March. Um, 20 hours later, my wife and I were on a plane to Patagonia. We wow. were gone for about six months. 
Amazing. Uh, gave up our apartment, put our stuff in storage. What's the best place you visited? It's a hard question. Um, so we, we, we were in South America what's mo- for a while. What's the one that no one will say, uh, you know? So more people are starting to say obvious. this, but uh, Vietnam was. Ooh, right. So we were in South America for a few months, and then yep. we, we flew to the other side of the world. Um, and we, we went to this town, Hanoi, or no, uh, Hoi An, sorry, in central Vietnam, right, okay. right below Da Nang. And we went there for like a couple of days to sort of chill out, and we ended up staying for a couple of weeks. We just fell wow. in love with the place. All right. So Vietnam, like I'm you a big And then you came back here. We came Obviously. back, and uh, I didn't want to go full-time, so I started consulting and working with companies that were either very early stage or were at like a major pivot point in their business Great. Uh, and kind okay. of needed to retool sales process or put it in place for the first time. Did that for a handful of months. Um, uh, did it for close to a year. Uh, Handshake had a rough quarter on kind of the back end of that. Uh, went through uh, some changes on the leadership side um, and and the sales team was brought down a bit and uh, I rejoined to consult for a while to kind of, mm-hmm. you know, help put Humpty Dumpty back together again, yeah, so to yeah. speak. And uh, things started going really well. We started building, a, you know, we started improving the metrics of the business. We doubled and then doubled again the ASPs. We were shrinking um, our sales cycles. Things were just, all the things that you say you're going to do, all, all the things that the, the founders tell you guys they're going to do once they raise some money, we started doing. And, yeah, uh, yeah. And it was going really, really well. And so I decided to, uh, to stay on full time, took over running the sales org again. Uh, and uh, we, we were acquired by Shopify a few months ago. Uh, and there, there, wasn't the, there wasn't a role that I felt really good about there. And so um, I'm back consulting to consulting. Yeah. All right. I always ask this question to all of our guests. Yeah. I gave you several hours to think about it. What is one thing that no one will know about you um, that is listening, obviously. Yeah, I, I, I've i answered this question this way one other time, so Ooh, maybe okay. there's a couple people who know it uh, right. if they listen to it. But uh, I, So when I was in high school, I saw a documentary or uh, like a Behind the Music or something on Tom Petty, mm-hmm. and uh, he had said he was a grave digger before he became a musician. And at the time, I had hair down to the, like the bottom of my back. Okay. So I had like a two foot long ponytail. Brandon has a closely cropped <laughs> set of yeah. head of hair right now. Yeah, so, uh. yeah it, it's it's the exact opposite. It was like right. incredibly long. And and I saw this documentary and uh, somebody said, well, why were you a grave digger? And he said, it was the only job uh, that I could get where I didn't have to cut my hair. And so th- this is the, the ambition that I had in high school is the, the most important thing to me was no matter what I do with the rest of my life, I don't want to have to be told I have to cut my hair. And oh, so I, I decided I was going to be a grave digger wow. after Tom Petty uh, or the, whatever the, you know, I guess the, the roughly late nineties equivalent of mm-hmm. that would have been. Uh, and I think like a lot of salespeople uh, sort of as, you know, my, my story uh, sort of keyed off, like, I just ended up selling almost by mistake. Yeah. And uh, just we've had an extended introduction here to yeah. you, but just to put a pin in that, you yeah. actually did dig graves. I no, I didn't end up. Oh, digging okay. Graves. It, was, it was where I was going to go. Right. Like, my, got it. My, my parents were not uh, thrilled. Big fans of that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Obviously. Okay. Let's transition into the topic. Sure. Um, so we're talking about building the sales machine post the raise of your seed round. Mm-hmm. Tons of founders out there raise seed round of financing. Yep. Some rely on 
their venture investors and their platform teams to support them. Some rely on, you know, angel investors, advisors. Some do it on their own. Maybe just first principles. Walk us through the high level of this, how you think about it. What are the key, you know, 30,000 foot big, 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 big consideration points after the money is in the bank as it relates to building that sales machine? So there's the how I did it, and then there's the how I think about it now, okay. particularly the first time. And like, sure. you know, how I did it was all the mistakes, I think is probably the right way to put it. Um, uh, you know, took the first handful of customers and said, this is definitely who our ICP is. Let's go. Let's just like fill the funnel with these people. Uh, I've sold to a handful of them. The business has sold to a handful of them. Let's hire a team. We're ready. We're ready to do that. Uh, let's build projections based on, you know, what we think quota ought to be. Uh, and let's just say how many people we can hire, lop 20% off the quota after some amount of ramp time, and that's where we'll get to. Uh, and so that was, I think, you know, the, the first time I did it, that was sort of how we thought about it. And uh, I I knew a number of people who were thinking about it that way, and uh, we all made the same mistakes and kind of suffered the same fate. And uh, I think the, the right things to do are to, right after you raise the seed round is to just slow down a little bit not you know not not an aggressive slowdown but pull back and say all right we've got a little bit of capital now and it's time to start growing the business let's let's take some risks let's make some bets but let's let ourselves learn from what it is we're actually doing ourselves as a founding team maybe with one seller uh, that that has been brought in who's kind of on the cusp of still being an individual contributor but also being ready to lead a team uh, and wants to like get out there and figure it out and, and build, uh, you know, build out the playbook, so to speak. Um, but just move slow and really understand your customers, understand your market, talk to the people who've bought from you, and figure out which ones bought from you because they're aggressive early adopters versus the ones who really had a pain point that is one that you can replicate out in the market. I think at a really high level, uh, those are that's kind of the the two sides of the coin. Like you can make those mistakes, and every Everybody who has gone down the path that looks like the one I went down faces a you know a really similar reset a handful of months in where they go all right we've hired some people we don't have the right pipeline for them their pipeline is atrophying we're we're not hitting the numbers we expected to what do we do now um, I'm a big believer that prevention is cheaper than remedy and so just slow that's down great a yeah I like that prevention is cheaper than remedy yeah um, let's go more narrow. Cool. So, you know, where do you start with this stuff? So slowing down is obviously a high-level concept. We can certainly not hire people as fast or, you know, mm-hmm. those types of things. But what are come some of more of the tactical considerations you think about in building that sales machine early on? So so I'm consulting with a, a company I just started this week, and like I'm, I'm deep in doing this with their team right now. Mm-hmm. It's We're talking to... You know, the first thing I'm doing is talking with all of the people who are on the team around what are the processes that we're going through? How are we actually selling? What are what does a cold call look like? What does a qualification call look like? What are we starting to hear that are actually uh, like repeatable value points in the conversations? And let's just start to pay attention to this. Let's look at the you know the people who have bought and how they bought. And like one of my one of my favorite exercises to go through is. I'll, I'll take a whiteboard and I'll kind of draw three columns on it. Say, on the first one, what is your sales process? Tell me what it is. And everybody has that. And I go, okay, the last customer who bought from you, let's walk through every single call you had with them and every single meeting you had with them. 
And you start to see like the sales process is kind of falling apart in that. And then I said, okay, let's talk about the customers who, the most recent one you lost. And we'll go through that. And the sales process that they've defined over here was probably abandoned entirely. Uh, and you can do that if you have deliberate sellers on the team, but you can also do that if it's just been a couple of founders who have been selling. Like just go through and diagnose everything that has happened with your existing customers uh, and then reach out to them and have conversations with them about all of the things that happened. If you're, if you're seed, if you're right at the seed level, the customers that have bought from you are forgiving. They're going to be happy to talk to you. They're invested in your company as much as they are in the value that your product delivers to them. And so they'll, they'll give you that time to help you figure out how to grow the business. Spend some time doing that. Um, my, my friend Glenn, who, who founded Handshake, says that the best advice he ever got as an early-stage founder is take care of your people and talk to your customers. And, and I think like, that kind of wraps around everything I just said. Got it. And do you, um, so a lot of this sort of pushes into ideal customer profile mapping, sales narrative, yep. so on and so forth. Do you sort of move into that after you've already talked to your existing customers and prospects and define the sales process map and how you think kind of it should look optimally? I mean, what are some of the other areas that you tend to yeah, I coach? Yeah, I think you, you move into it, and the the first place to start is just you know, what is reality right now, right? It's, it's the ideal customer, it's the sales motion and the playbook, it's the funnel, uh, and, and looking at, let's just talk about what reality is, not what we actually want to have happen. Let's not talk about what best-in-class conversion rates through the funnel are, let's talk about what's actually happening, how many leads are coming in, let's look for the places where things are and aren't working and, and decide where we think we can improve. Uh, and it's, it's not that you decide on that and then it's done and you move on to the next thing, it's it's you establish a starting point that you then revisit on a constant basis and are consistently updating. Uh, ideal customer profile is going to change when you're really early stage is going to change maybe every few months. Like as you grow your business, it's going to continue to grow forever. Uh, your funnel is something that you should be evaluating. I think you should evaluate your funnel weekly. You should be taking, not making changes to it, right? Reevaluate it on a quarterly basis or, or depending on the size of your deals, but Look at it every week, have an SLA with the commercial sides of the business and say, are things trending the way we expect them to? We sat down at the beginning of whatever this fiscal period is and said, we expect this many leads to come in for them to move on through the funnel at this rate. Like, are things happening the way we expect them to? Uh, just continue to test anything that you think is true about your business because particularly very early on, you're going to find out that all of these things that you map out, a number of them uh, are kind of aggressive assumptions. Uh, and you're going to need to continue to test them to make sure that you haven't built these big projections or assumptions on things that are going to fall apart. Talk to maybe talk to us a bit about that because that tends to you know in my role as an investor comes up where the presentation through the seed round is X, and then the first board meeting is Y. Right. And what, okay, what happened? What did we, and usually it's a external consultant or someone who's smart saying, look, our sales motion is minimal today, or we have not a scale company to, to support this data. Let's take this down a bit. How do how do you manage that? And what do you coach? You know, when you come into a new organization, is it let's just rewrite this from the bottoms up, or is it hey, these are 
okay numbers let's keep it uh type of thing it isn't that cut and dry obviously yeah. but you know kind of how do you think about that it's let's write it uh it's not necessarily let's rewrite it i think generally when you know when, when you're at that level you probably haven't really defined the funnel like yeah. you probably haven't yeah, really defined the icp right these are things that you'll generally have a very broad understanding of and it's really hard to right in in fairness if you're if you're at a seed level and you're maybe you're you know doing a few hundred thousand dollars in revenue you just don't know. Yeah. But the, the place to start is there is some set of data, right? There are some customers in most cases. Start there with what has happened, right? If you've got a really transactional business, just go back a quarter or two. Uh, if it's not a particularly transitional or transactional business, look at the last year and say, this is what our conversion rates have been. This is what our funnel does look like. And then you can, once everybody gets aligned on what reality is, then you can say, okay, this is okay or this isn't, right? Our win rate is 10%. Okay, well, it's reality. We have to agree on that, but we also have to improve it. That's just not good enough. Uh, and then you can start to look at all of the granular things that live inside of each one of these little pieces of the funnel and say, what are all the things we can do here? And, you know, it, it requires, when you're having that conversation, kind of a shelving of any association with the performance that you're looking at and just going, doesn't matter that maybe I am a, haven't been a good seller here and, and, and I've had a bad win rate. Let's just talk about the things that can be done in here. And I'm going to kind of you know, let down my guard and, and allow everybody to, to participate in how we can improve this. And it could exist anywhere uh, in the funnel. It could also be, you know, you, you may have seen a presentation as a, as a potential investor around this is who we think we're going to sell to. Here's the TAM associated with them. It's trillions of dollars. Don't worry. Everything's going to be great. Um, and it may be the case that some segment of who you think your customers are were a really good fit very, very early on, like way before you cross the chasm and they're not actually going to be much of a fit or you over-indexed on a couple of attributes that existed for those early customers and said, well, because of these two or three things, we think this is the market. And then maybe as you move on, you learn, no, those two or three things actually didn't align with where you think the market's going. Uh, and it's just, it's admitting all of those things very early on to yourselves uh, I think very good advice I've gotten from board members in the past is, um, you know, surprises are never good, but bad surprises should come very, very early. Uh, and so don't wait for the board meeting. Uh, don't wait for the board call. If, if you start to notice these things, uh, you know, reach out to reach out to your board members, reach out to your advisors, reach out to everybody and just say, hey, we're starting to see this. I either think it's a problem or we're just starting to get a little bit concerned. I want you to know about it. This is what we're going to do to try to adjust before the board meeting comes. Uh, but I think, you know, you don't want to have like the board dinner the night before everybody's in a really good mood. And then the next day everybody shows up like, oh, I didn't want to bring this up last night because we we're having a nice time. But Rome is burning. <laughs> yeah. Where do you, uh, this is sort of go back to 30,000 feet. Where do you see founders screw up the most or, or what are some perspectives on the biggest issues or, or pain points or challenges that tend to come up um, in these conversations? I think in a word hiring um, okay, and, and in a couple of ways, you know, one hiring too fast and, and going, all right, well, you know, we've got to, we've got to triple the business this year or double the business this year. Let's just divide quotas into what number we think we got to get to. There, there's hiring like that. Um, but I also, I, I think maybe more importantly, there's not having a perspective on who you want to bring into the organization uh, and how you want to hire and uh, who's right for the business at the right stage. And, and I think that, Oftentimes, uh, you know, 
founders or even just hiring managers within an early stage company will not sit down and do enough work before they get ready to build out their teams, thinking about who they want their teams to be, thinking about what the right skill sets are. Uh, you know, on, on the sales side alone, there are dozens of different right profiles, right? You could be a fantastic seller at one company and a terrible one at another. And uh, you could interview really well, regardless of which one of those two yeah, you're sitting in the table for. And so yeah. uh, having an opinion on who the right person should be and, and what your process is going to be and, and using that process uniformly when you're bringing people into the business so that you're not having these over indexes on like, oh, I liked them. Or, you know, she, yeah. you know, she really managed the interview really well. But no, yeah, like good. We, we, we would sit down. I've done this at Handshake. Uh, I've done this at companies I've consulted with and said, let's really, really think about all of the things we're going to test for here. Let's divide those out by different people because I also don't want four people walking into a room with a candidate asking the same questions, right? Like, let's make sure that we're maximizing our time to learn about this person. And then let's have a teardown meeting afterwards where we're sharing feedback relative to the things that each of us were screening on. Little things like that. Um, I think on the hiring front, uh, hiring too big too fast is a, is a, a mistake that a lot of early stage companies find. Um, you know, you, on the sales side, this has been written about a million times, but I think it kind of it cascades around the business. Um, you know, someone who's had a ton of success somewhere else who may have taken a company from maybe even where you currently are to where you want to get to may not be the right person to go back to where you are. Uh, it may have been 10 years since they were there, or they may have absolutely no interest in early stage sales leadership, which is almost more selling than it is leadership. Uh, and so just, you know, hiring in general, I think is the place where the most mistakes are made. That's interesting. Um, do you, uh, when you, when you, maybe just to stay on the hiring piece for a minute, uh, because it is so important, do you find going back and, and partially dovetailing with your initial kind of, um, experience, do you find that what you're talking about is primarily the specificity of the right candidates and the, the interview process and stuff? Do you find also, as you mentioned kind of earlier that they just hire too quickly and that becomes a huge challenge for the organization? Yeah. Yeah, certainly. On, so on the sort sense, of part of part of your slowdown thing, I think, yeah, right? It, it absolutely is. Yeah, I, you know, the, the way I, I think I, I may have said this a couple minutes ago, the way that uh, I think this this almost always happens on the sales side is some number is agreed upon either when fundraising is going on, right. uh, or or even just finger in the air, or somebody reads a blog post that says you know best in class SaaS companies double every year, uh, and goes, all right, well. You know, for, for deal sizes about our size, we should, you know, all of our sellers should close about 600K a year. If we want to grow by 3 million, let's hire six of them because we figure one of them will wash out. Uh, and, uh, and then actually goes and tries to do that. And, uh, you know, doesn't have all the things I talked about from a process and how they find the right people in place. And also doesn't have the things that we talked about earlier around who should we be selling to? How should we be selling to them? What does our motion look like? You know, what, is, what are the conversion metrics that exist in our business? Uh, and uh, I think the way this mistake almost always manifests itself is you know, four, five, six salespeople get hired into a very early stage company that probably isn't even doing a million bucks yet in revenue. And uh, uh, once they get there and kind of get ramped and understand the product and understand the business to the degree uh, that the business understands itself, they go, great, where are our leads? And, yeah. and somebody goes, no, 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 that's what you're here for. Right. Uh, and like, you know, that's... 
that's the that's the early warning right, sign. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, that's difficult. What? Um, maybe just some closing questions as we've talked for almost thirty minutes now. Any comp? I mean, you can you can say handshake if you want. But what companies would you say do this the best? Who are kind of those that you've seen really nail it from, let's say, sort of post seed into thinking about, you know, scale. Um, any particular examples? Obviously, our frame of discussion is predominantly software as a service and application software companies. So I don't know yeah. if you, you know narrow there, but uh, on. I want to chalk this up to like I will just presume I haven't seen it, um, but on at the seed level, I don't know that I've seen anyone avoid those mistakes. None. I think. Wow. But look, uh, you know, it's one guy. It's not to say anything, <laughs> uh, really. I think that the it, it's really challenging to not do that. I have I have some so I have some friends who run very early stage companies now and uh, who are in the process of doing things that sound like what I just talked about. But, sure. Um, I'm not gonna. I'm not going to call them out because, like, That's let's fine. see how the story That's plays fine. out. Right, uh, right. right. It's, it's not there yet. Um, so they're doing what I think are the right things now. But maybe some guy will be sitting in this room uh, three years from now saying what a what a bad idea it was to move slow uh, the way everybody was a few years ago. Well, uh, <laughs> I don't know about that, but all right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think you know. Handshake did it very well after we didn't do it very well. Right. Uh, and I think that's generally how it goes. Uh, I think the companies that are successful usually make that mistake. Got it. Other advisors in addition to you, are there people that you relied on during your time at Handshake or other companies that you yeah. recommend? We always love to kind of plug yeah. people and companies on the podcast. So. Um there's a couple, uh, there's a guy named Steli FD, uh, who runs sure, yeah. uh, Close.io. Yep. Uh, there were a couple of times, I don't know Steli terribly well, but I know him reasonably well. And there were a couple of times where uh, I called him in like a head on fire panic about something that was going on. And he was just like, oh, chill out, man. Like, this is what happens. Yep. You're fine. Have you thought about this, 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 and this? Uh, and go, oh, that's great. Thanks, Steli. <laughs> uh, and, you know, the good thing is you, you, you don't have to be lucky enough for him to take your call to get like the full steli experience yeah, right? like yeah. all of his content embodies it um there, there was also an advisor we had at uh handshake uh, a guy named vince bc who was essentially telling me not to make those mistakes as we mm -hmm. were going through them uh and was like saying a lot of the things i'm saying now and uh and i was saying oh, we're gonna be fine and, yeah and look we were fine but you know yeah um so you know vince was uh was a remarkable help on that front because you know when it came time to adjust and uh we knew exactly what to do because we'd been hearing it and talking about it for, yeah. for months. Cool. Um, final tips and tricks, thoughts, anything we've missed thinking about post seed round sales machine. Uh, I think, I think a good, uh, a good trick or a good just tactic to employ is if you've just raised a seed round, lean into your investors for introductions to the companies that they've invested, who've navigated mm -hmm. where you've just been through. Sure. Um, don't just ask, hey, from your purview, what did you see these guys do? Like, try to get to those people and say, what did you do? What were the mistakes you made? How can I avoid them? Yep. What are the yep. things you did right? Um, I, I think you know most most good practices exist out there. Don't try to reinvent them. Right, just steal them, uh, and and you can steal them from people who are happy to have you steal them from them. Uh, so, I think that that's that's the you know the kind of top trick I would advise. All right, just don't try to figure it out. Any final own. thoughts? 
No, uh, I've had a, had a great time. Thank you for coming on. We appreciate yeah, it. Thanks for having me.